Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We do welcome Reverend Chad Brewer, who's with me uh, in the, the pulpit today, as he'll be bringing God's Word to us in our, in our sermon this morning. Uh, he, some of you may, may know him or recognize that name as he was at Penn State as our uh, RUF campus pastor for a number of years. Uh, and then uh, now he's working with RUF Global and RUF International, and we're very thankful to have him with us today. Good morning. It's been a great weekend to be with you. It's been a great weekend to hear how God is at work through our missionaries. It's been really encouraging. Thank you for all that you do in serving Jesus and his kingdom all over the world. Uh, My name is Chad Brewer, and I met a lot of kids yesterday, and uh, we talked a lot about animals and favorite animals. And uh, last night I was thinking about uh, my favorite animals. Um, I had told you lion and anteater, but I thought of a third, grizzly bear. So if you have an extra one, feel free to tell me after the service because I'm curious. Uh, I currently live in Irvine, California with my wife Christy and three daughters, Uh, but I'm from this area, grew up just south of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Uh, went to college at Shippensburg University where I came to faith in Christ and then later served at RUF at Penn State, uh, and you all were significant supporters of that ministry, and you still are, so thank you very much. And little known fact that the first ever PCA church that I stepped foot in was Westminster. And so thank you for your ministry over the years. We're going to be looking at Psalm 67, so you can go ahead there and turn in your Bible. We're looking at the heart of God for the nations. Have some recent mission statistics for you. Uh, maybe you know that there is now a decline in the West, including the U.S., in sending missionaries to the world. In 2021, there were 430,000 long-term missionaries in the world, and 227,000 of those missionaries were from the global north including the U.S. But 50 years before that, in 1970, 88% of the missionaries that were long-term serving in the world were from the global north. And so there's been a decline in the global north, and now we see an uprising of missionaries from the global south. One of the biggest factors of that shift from the north to the south is because of the United States, in particular the last 20 years, in both sending missionaries and sending dollars uh, for missions. Think about this. During the Great Depression, uh, late 1920s, early 1930s, when unemployment stood at 35%, U.S. churches gave proportionally to to today three times more than, than they do today to international missions. Recently, the polling agency, the Barna Group, found that 51% of regular church attenders do not know what the Great Commission is. And that was when Jesus said to his disciples, as he was leaving this world, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Well, as the the global West and North uh, tend to decline in giving and supporting missions, the heart of God for the nations to know Christ has not declined. And that's what we see here in Psalm 67. Let's read Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. If you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would use your word to reignite a passion for the salvation of the nations. This morning, would you give us a glimpse into your heart for the nations and for your strategy of reaching the nations. Use your word to stir our hearts individually. Holy Spirit, form us into a people who are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about God's plan to reach the nations. In other words, God's global mission strategy. So first we're going to talk about who God will reach the nations through. He'll do it through a people on mission. Secondly, we'll talk about how God will reach the nations, the power for missions. And then third, we'll talk about a particular people to pursue for missions. First, we'll start with a people on mission. Psalm 67 begins and ends with blessing. The psalm or the song is bracketed by the God who gives his blessing to his people. Verse 1 begins by asking for the blessing of God. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And then verse 6 and 7 end the psalm in full confidence of this blessing. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So this psalm is clearly a psalm about the blessing of God. What is obvious about this blessing of God is that God's blessing is not to be hoarded or kept like a kid collecting candy on Halloween. The psalmist is asking for God's blessing because he wants God's blessing not for himself, but for another. And here's what's even more interesting. The psalmist isn't asking God's blessing for himself. The psalmist isn't even asking for God's blessing for a loved one. Like we might do when we pray. God, we pray for a mother, a father, a son, or a daughter, a co-worker, a neighbor, a student that we go to school with. The psalmist is making the audacious ask of God. He is praying for all the people of the world. A people that he hasn't met yet, a people that he will most likely never meet, and a people, some certainly, who have not been born yet. Look at verse 2 to see what he's asking of God. 
that your way may be known on earth. That your saving power may be known among all nations. What a prayer, what a song, what a sentiment that the God of Israel one day would become the God who was worshipped and adored by all the nations of the world. But here is where it gets even more interesting. And if we miss this point, we miss the heart of the psalm. The writer of the psalm isn't simply just praying that the nations would know and worship the God of Israel. The writer of this psalm is praying for God's blessing on Israel so that the people of God, and here it is, would be the very ones who would take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. God, bless us so that we might be a blessing. The language is familiar to us. Uh, And this is why the psalmist is praying the way that he does here. As he is writing this psalm, he is thinking about Abraham, the father of the people of God. When God met Abram in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram, you are mine. And I'm going to bring a nation from you. And this nation will be my people. And I will bless you, Abram, and I will bless your people. So that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And what the world needs most is what only the church has. The people of God, the church, have been given a clear mission, the proclamation of Jesus Christ to the nations. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a big ask. That seems like a tall order. The psalmist not only tells us that we are a people on mission, but the psalmist also points to the power for missions. The second point is the power for missions. There are two images in this psalm that stand out. The first image I want to draw your attention to is in verse 4. And this image is sandwiched in between the chorus of the psalm. Maybe you notice that in verse 3 and verse 5 where it says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's this selfless, outward-looking, God-centered song that the church of God sings. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. And in between this chorus, in verse 4, is an image that I want you to notice. When the psalmist writes, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It's this hard-to-imagine image, at least for Israel 3,000 years ago, of all the nations of the world, let alone the nations right around them, singing for joy with Israel about the God who brings salvation. And yet, this is the same image that we're given in Revelation chapter 7 of what will be true. John tells us of this vision he has from the Lord, similar to the psalmist, When he writes, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. We already heard who the Lord will use to bring the nations to him. He will use his people, the church, a people on mission to do this. Which brings us to the second image, now leading us into that second point. 
The power, for, the power for missions is found in the image that we see in the second half of verse 1. The psalmist writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And then he gives us this image. And make your face to shine upon us. It's not a new image. This too comes from the history of Israel in Numbers chapter 6 when Aaron pronounced a blessing upon the people of God and he said, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Again, what's interesting here is that the psalmist is connecting the blessing of Aaron to the mission of God to bring salvation to the world. And it's this image of the smile of God the warmth of God's loving gaze upon us, like the sun that shines upon us. And that would have reminded Israel, most likely, of its past, perhaps of creation, when darkness reigned. And then God said, let there be light. And then there was light, and the world came alive. And it reminded the psalmist and Israel, perhaps, of the flood, when God punished the world for their sin, but yet God preserved the people for himself and in the sign of grace to his people after 150 days of rain and darkness was the sun. The sun coming out, striking water droplets and making a rainbow. But perhaps the psalmist had in mind when God had protected his people from Pharaoh and Egypt by removing the sun completely for three days, a plague of darkness. All the while, the sun shined on the people of God in Goshen, like his face shining upon his loved ones. But we know now what the psalmist did not know then, that there would be a day, one day, when the sun would not shine when the world would turn dark in the middle of the day for three hours, as dark as night, when God's face would turn away from his own son, leaving Jesus in both physical and spiritual darkness. And in that darkness, the wrath of God fell upon his son Jesus so that the wrath of God would not fall upon you. And out of that darkness comes the smile of God for the people of God. And it's his smile to us that gives us both light and life for the mission that he calls us to. In Tennessee, uh, years ago, there was a young woman named Karen. She already had a a three-year-old son named Michael. She was pregnant with a baby girl. And in order to to build a bond of love between Michael and this newborn daughter... Uh, Karen, each night, would have Michael sing a song, and it was always the same song to the unborn little girl. As time came for Karen to give birth, there were some serious complications with the pregnancy. Karen was in intense labor for many hours, way more than expected. Karen's daughter, Michael's sister, was born in serious condition. They rushed her by ambulance, flashing lights to a larger hospital with a neonatal intensive care unit. As the days went by, the, girls, the baby girl's condition got worse. The pediatrician told Karen and her husband the situation was so dire, there was little hope for the baby. 
Karen and her husband, through tears, began to make arrangements for a funeral for their daughter. But Karen's son, Michael, was begging his mom to let him see his little sister. He had not seen her at all uh, this many days. Because, of course, children aren't allowed in the ICU. And so Karen approached the nurses, asked if it were possible for Michael to be able to see his baby sister. And the nurses said yes. And so Michael went in to see his baby sister, hooked up all kinds of tubes. And then Michael saw her and he began to sing the song that he had sung almost every day of her life. And this is what he sang. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And as he sung, the nurse could see on the monitor that the little baby girl's heart was beginning to steady and to calm down. And so Karen saw it. She said, Michael, sing again. And he did. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. And he continued to sing. It was just a few days later. Michael's sister went home with Michael, Karen, and Karen's husband. And it's his smile upon us and his song to us that Jesus loves us, that gives us strength to live and power for mission. So far we've talked about a people uh, on mission, the church. We've talked about the power for missions, the love of Jesus. And now I'll talk about a people to pursue for mission. Charles Malik was a Lebanese born follower of Christ. He ascended to the position of Secretary General of the United Nations late in the 1950s. And some 60 years ago, he made this statement about the university. This is what he said. The university is a clear-cut fulcrum with which to move the world. The church can render no greater service, both to itself and to the cause of the gospel, than to try to recapture the university's for Christ. More potently than by any other means, change the university and you change the world. Which brings us to our third point. A people to pursue for missions, university students. The Center for Global Christianity says that 86% of all Muslims, all Hindus, all Buddhists in the world will live and die and never meet a follower of Christ. One of the few opportunities for a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Buddhist to meet a Christian is on university campuses in the United States. Before the pandemic, there were 1.1 million international students here in the United States. Now there are over 900,000 international students in the U.S., but we expect that number will rise as the pandemic is coming under control. Never in the history of the world have have the best and the brightest from the countries of the world come to one country to be educated as they have right now in the U.S. in this redemptive moment. At Georgia Tech, out of the 195 countries in the world, 127 countries are represented at Georgia Tech. And our church that is there, the PCA, with RUF International. At the University of Texas in Dallas, 30,000 students on campus, 
10,000 of those students are international students. One out of every three students that you see on campus is an international student. The majority of them are Indian students. And our church is there, the PCA, with RUF International. At the Ivy League School Columbia in New York City, 32,000 students, 16,000 students are international students. One out of every two students on Columbia's campus is an international student. And our church, the PCA, is there with RUF International. But we're only on 18 campuses. And there's so many more places that we want to get to. One of those students, a girl named Tisha, who's a Muslim from a Middle Eastern country, recently came to the U.S. for six months of study at George Mason University, where we have an RUF international ministry. Upon her arrival, Tisha met one of our RUF international staff members, uh, a woman named Janelle. And Janelle and Tisha hit it off pretty quickly. Uh, They uh, talked about culture. They uh, bonded over coffee. Their friendship led to discussing things that were really significant, questions of existence. Tisha and Janelle began a Bible study together. And then Janelle had Tisha read the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Tisha took six pages of notes. She ultimately came to the conclusion that she disagreed with the book. And she just left two weeks ago to return to her Middle Eastern country. But think about this. In six months' time, Tisha met a Christian, heard the gospel, read the Bible, and considered seriously the claims of Christianity. Seeds were planted. The University of Delaware, just about an hour and ten minutes here in in Newark, we have an RUF international ministry. And in January, 60 international students from China just moved Um, to work at the English Institute to to study for 12 months. They're going to return to China after 12 months of study to be English leaders. And so there, RUF International welcomed them. This past Thursday night, RUF International had their weekly dinner and discussion where about 20, 25 volunteers from local churches get together, they put on a meal, and then after the meal, whoever wants to stay around can participate in a Bible study. 90 international students participated in small group Bible studies on Thursday night, many of those from this group of Chinese who just arrived in the U.S. Of course, our church... um, through the ministry of RUF Global, is not just welcoming students to the U.S., but we're sending missionaries um, over into the world, overseas, to minister to college students who are not coming to us, so we will go to them. Because the campus is so strategic. In Mexico City, where we have had an RUF Global for 15 years, we are seeing the fruit of that ministry. We started with an American pastor, um, sent him with MTW, and now... He's been replaced with an RUF campus minister who is ordained in the Mexican National Presbyterian Church, ministering to Mexican students. And now those students are filling the churches in Mexico. In Tokyo, Japan, Tokyo or Japan is the second largest unreached people group in the world. This has historically been hard ground for the church, for the gospel, less than 1% of nearly 127 million people identifying as a Christian. We just recently started an RUF Global there. 
um, to minister to students in the heart of Tokyo. And our global campus minister has just recently started Bible study with students. And in Lviv, Ukraine, where I was just this summer, our RUF global campus minister, Kirk Norris, serving with MTW, um, is pastoring college students even now as their country, their homes, their futures are crumbling all down around them. And Kirk is there pointing to the hope of another world to come where there is no war, there is no pestilence, and there will be no evil. Just two weeks ago, the RUF National Campus Minister at the University of Southern California. Maybe you remember him. Remember Alex Watlington? He was a missionary supported by Westminster. He was serving at Penn State University. Um, He is there at USC. We are friends. And he sent me a text two weeks ago. Um, He was ministering or he was on campus in the heart of USC's campus, tabling and trying to advertise to American students. And And he sent me this text. He said, I'm doing an information table at USC today. I've had maybe one, possibly two American students come up and talk to us. But we've had something like 20 international students who have come to our table and said something along these lines. Yes, I'm very interested in learning more about this Jesus. He was primarily talking about Chinese students. Alex ended uh, the text by saying this. The harvest is plentiful. Of course, the context for those words are from Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus is proclaiming the gospel throughout cities and villages. And he turns to his disciples and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Did you know that the only time Jesus gave a prayer request is right here. And his prayer request was for more laborers to be sent out into the world. This is the heart of Jesus. This is his mission. And it's the mission that he gives to his people, to the church, to you and to me. Years ago, when I lived in Minneapolis, after my time at State College, I heard the story of Mitch. Mitch was eight years old, and he had cancer, and he was dying. He was living in a Ronald McDonald's house next door to the University of Minnesota Hospital there in Minneapolis, where he was receiving treatment for cancer. And the Ronald McDonald's house is this great thing that the McDonald's Corporation does, where it sets up uh, almost like a large house right beside a university. And And it provides care for children who have terminal diseases like cancer and for their families. And they try to make it as comfortable as it possibly can be. One day, uh, Mitch was with his dad in his room. And Mitch had a roommate. His roommate was also eight years old and he also had cancer. And it was near Christmas time. And so uh, uh, they were in the room together. And Mitch's eight-year-old roommate was talking to his parents And uh, the roommate said to his parents, Mom and Dad, will there be presents this year for Christmas? There was a pause. And the mom and dad said to Mitch's roommate, I'm sorry, we've spent all of our money trying to get you well. 
we have no money now for presents. The boy began to weep, and of course, Mitch overheard all of this and his dad. Later that night, when Mitch was alone with his dad, Mitch said, Dad, we have to do something about this. And so they came up with an idea. The next day, they went to the bank, and they took out $6,000 from Mitch's savings account. They emptied it. That's not bad for an eight-year-old, is it? $6,000. So they took it all out in $100 bills. Then they went across to the CVS and they bought those long envelopes and they started putting $100, $200 in an envelope and they would write one of Mitch's friend's names who was staying with him at the Ronald McDonald's house. Some envelopes got $300, some envelopes got $500 depending on the need until all $6,000 was stuffed in different envelopes. They went back that day to the Ronald McDonald's house and if the door of Mitch's friend was open and nobody was there, Mitch would take the envelope with the name of his friend and he would put it on the pillow. And if they were in there and the door was closed, he would take the envelope and he would slide the envelope underneath the door. That day, as the day went on, Mitch was able to hear the sounds and the voices of his friends and laughter, joyful that they were going to have presents this year for Christmas. At the end of the day, Mitch looked at his dad and he said, Dad, this has been the best day of my life. We have to do this next year. And then Mitch, Mitch's dad said to him, Son, you know, we've talked about this. You won't be here next year to do this. And then Mitch said, That's right, Dad. Then you're going to have to do it for me. And this is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples as he was leaving this world in the Great Commission. He said to his disciples, I'm leaving this world and the greatest gift is salvation and it's what the world needs and I'm not going to be here any longer. And so you do it. This is the mission that he's given to the church. There is no greater privilege than the gospel of Jesus Christ taking it to the nations. May God be with you missionaries. May God be with you people of Westminster as you do that with friends and family as you support and pray because this matters. And how do we do this? With this smile that sets upon those he loves. You. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would love us, that you would send your son Jesus for us, and that you would set your affection upon us, your love. That helps us to take risks. That helps us to love people in ways that might make us uncomfortable. Lord, you have been good and your salvation is true. Lord, help us to be a people on mission. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.